Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. So we're going to talk about maturity this morning, but in order to get into maturity, in order to get into all of this, I want, to, I want to spend some time recapping where we've been, kind of walk you through this, because it dumps us out into God's plan for us. It dumps us out into this idea that God is calling us to a level of maturity. So we're going to go over three things today with respect to maturity, and then I'll recap. The very first thing that we're going to talk about is what is maturity? We need to define the term. We've got, we've got all kinds of definitions and all kinds of ideas with, uh, with respect to maturity, and, and many of them are wrong, okay? But we're going we're gonna to zero in on what the Bible says about maturity because it's really important. The second thing that we're going to talk about today is who or what is the standard of maturity. Who or what is the standard of maturity? Spoiler alert, it's Jesus. Okay, so what is maturity? Who or what is the standard? And then last but not least, we're going to talk about how maturity impacts the Christian life. How it's supposed to look in our lives if we truly do uh, arrive at this place of maturity. What it will change in us. What it should affect in each and every one of us. And listen, this applies to all Christians. There's, this isn't just for, you know, some elite class, this, the professional Christians. This is for everybody that we're all called to a place of maturity. But here, here's where we've been up to this point. We started the series in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, in which we were talking, which, in which we've been talking about equipping the saints, right? And, and what that looks like, because uh, you guys are the saints, I'm, I'm part of the saints of God, and we need to be equipped. One thing that I've shared a lot over this past couple of weeks is that we all have a want to serve God, right? We all have a want to. The, the challenge is that oftentimes our how-to is broken. We, we don't know how to do it. We, we really want to get out there in the, you know, on the field and in the game and play, but the trouble is, is that we don't know how. Well, the scripture tells us that God has given to us, God has given to his church, People with spiritual gifts, and these everybody has a spiritual gift, but he has given specific people for, uh, for with the gifts of pastor, teacher, apostle, prophet, evangelist uh, for this particular job. Here's, here's where we started. And he gave God, of course, gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. It's really important that we just kind of take a step back, take a second, and realize that although we all have a gift... Although God has gifted everybody for a unique place inside of the church, not everybody does the same role. There, there's this like hot button issue today about equality, and, and we, we talk about equality in so many different ways politically. But here, here's what you need to understand. It's the same thing for a marriage relationship, a husband and a wife. It's the same thing inside of the church. We are equal when it comes to our value. Can you say that to somebody next to you? We are equal in value. Say it again. We are equal in value. Say it to somebody. This is, this is true. We are equal in value. This is important. This is hard for men to understand and women to understand, especially when we're in a marriage relationship because maybe some bad teaching that we've heard for years and years and years, right? But we are equal in value. But listen, listen. We are not equal in our responsibilities. We're not equal in our responsibilities. Men don't play the same roles as women all the time. And women don't play the same roles as men all the time. And everybody in the body of Christ doesn't play the same role as one another. And guess what, guys? You should be happy about that. 
Because the scripture tells us that if we were all eyes, where would the sense of smell be? We'd be stuck, right? If we were all feet, we'd smell. Nobody tell us we did though, right? So, so we'd, we'd struggle with this. But we're all supposed to be unique in our giftings and unique in what we bring to the table. And we're all valuable. So this is really important for us to understand. Equality is just a really interesting term. And it gets jacked up in our culture, and we get offended because everybody needs to be the same. But I, I praise God every day my wife is nowhere, nowhere near like me. I'm so grateful for that because she balances me. She shapes me. She molds me. She corrects me. She smacks me, whatever it is, right? But, but she, does, she does those things, and I am terribly grateful for that. I'm terribly grateful. And so God actually has said in the equipping of the saints, it's, he says that he gave some for a particular purpose. What are pastors, teachers, apostles, prophets, and evangelists supposed to do? Well, they're supposed to equip the saints. Does that mean that nobody else has the right or the ability to equip the saints? It's, it's not that way. It's just, it's a unique role that they serve. And there's a special privilege that they have. But listen, before you think that those people get a little too cocky or high and mighty, listen, we're to be held to a higher standard. James, the brother of Jesus what did he say in his, in his epistle? He said, not many of you ought to, to be teachers or aspire to be teachers. Why? Because you'll be held to a higher standard. The writer of Hebrews tells us that, that, that teachers or the, the people that lead, right, are going to be, yes, worthy of, of double honor in one respect, but at the same time, they're going to have to give an account to God based on their leadership. Listen, being a leader inside of the church, being a teacher inside of the church is something to come at with fear and trembling. It is something to come at with an immense sense of humility because the truth is God's always watching. He's always calling on me, specifically in my feel of this, in my, in my job. He's always calling me to be pure and to be right and to be focused on him. And listen, church, it's, it's not always easy. It's not always easy. Sometimes I just want to come in and mail it in, right? It's like, whatever. We'll, just, we'll talk about a real positive, ooey-gooey message. <laughs> and if you've been around here long enough, you know I can't ever mail it in. I can't ever because it's just not in me. But the responsibility is great. But here's what God has said. We're not all equal. We've got special, unique parts, and all of those are needed. And these specific parts have a responsibility. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints. Here's what he says. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. In week one, when we set the table, we had breakfast with all of you guys, and it was just such an awesome time. When we did that, what we were getting at, or what the focus was, is to teach you what it means to equip. Equip means to provide you with the tools necessary to bring the kingdom to bear in your life. Because what did I say at the beginning? Our want to is there, it's our how to that's, that struggles. Our want to is there. We want to serve God. Show of hands. How many of you want to serve God? You want to do what he says, right? How many of you would also say there's times when you don't know what it is that he would want you to do, right? You're like, ah, sometimes you're questioning it. Our, our want to is there. Our how to seems to be broken. But guess what? God has given to the church his grace. He's given to the church, pastors and teachers, apostles, prophets, evangelists, for the purpose of equipping you, giving you or providing you with the tools necessary for the works of service. We define this in week two. Work means an act or a thing done, right? And service means of those whom, that would be you or me, by those whom carry out the commands of another. Who's the another in this? 
He, it's God, right? It's Jesus. So we're carrying out his commands. So guess what? All of us here, our want to is to obey God. And the shorthand of works of service is obedience to God. It's you and I doing a thing in, command, in the command of God. And so God gave these teachers for the purpose of giving you the tools necessary so that you could obey God. And then I love this. What's it produce? When you are equipped and you are doing the works of service, when you are obeying God, you actually help to build up the body of Christ. You help to build up the body of Christ. How many of you help to build up the body of Christ? All of you help to build up the body of Christ. How does obedience to God help us build up the body of Christ? Listen to me clearly. I I didn't say this all the way up to this point, but I, I need you to hear this. Anything God commands is good, church. So anything we're called to obey is good which means it's good for us. It's good for us. So in your obedience, in your following after the commands of God, the truth is you help build everybody up because God wants good, he's the one who commanded it, and we follow through with it. Such a huge deal, right? So pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. Then last week we talked about this. Until we all attain, say the word with me, church, to the unity. Say it again, unity. One more time, unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Important lesson from last week, and I hope you'll go back and you'll listen to the message. Unity is not something we produce. Unity is something we preserve. It is a problem in the church when we try to produce unity. But listen, hear me clearly. When we were born again, we were born into one body. Is that body unified or divided? No, it's unified. It's us that are the problem. Okay, we are unified. God's body is not divided. Listen to me very clearly, church. Listen, there is a kingdom here and a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. Is God's kingdom standing? Then it is unified, is it not? See, we don't produce unity, church. We preserve unity. We don't produce it, we preserve it. How do we preserve unity? Well, Paul told us in Ephesians 1. He says that you, uh, I am praying for the Ephesians and he would pray for us and we should be praying for each other that we would be given a spirit of wisdom and revelation in Jesus Christ because we're supposed to be united both in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. We need a spirit of wisdom and revelation in order for us to be unified. Who produces that church? God produces that, not us. Okay. How do we preserve it? What are the four steps of preserving unity? Patience, gentleness, Humility and tolerance in love, right? How many of you tried to employ those this week? How many of you failed miserably? (laughs) Okay, so it's really challenging. But listen, this is how we preserve unity. God has called us to get to this place, and we do so by preserving it, by knowing what it is that God has created for us. So he goes on, Paul goes on, and says this, to what we're going to talk about today, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. I'd love for you to read that with me. We'll just do it all the way from the top. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. What is unity? We're going to talk about it. What is the standard or who is the standard? We're going to answer the question. And then what does unity look like in the Christian life? We're going to answer that. So first up. Let's talk about what is unity, what is maturity, sorry, what is maturity. Let's just kind of start off here. We've misdefined 
maturity for the longest time, okay? We have believed that maturity simply means age. And maturity doesn't mean age. Maturity doesn't mean that you're just an older person. Because, listen, I can prove it to you. How many of you know somebody that is much older, but they're terribly immature? And don't raise your hand about your husband or your wife sitting next to you, right? Okay, so we all know this. Age does not beget maturity. It's not a guarantee, okay? Maturity is something far more, at least biblical maturity, is something far more than age. This is why it's so important when the Bible talks about elders in a community. It does not say just the older people. There's a list of qualifications. You would think if you just got older, you'd match those qualifications. You don't. Because an elder doesn't just mean old. Maturity doesn't just mean old. It means qualified in a manner of speaking. It means something that that God has set, a standard that God has set. And so the word for maturity inside of the Bible is a word called teleos. Here's Here's the word. Teleos. Can you say that with me? It's a Greek word. Teleos. It's just fun to hear you guys. Some of you just did a British accent. Why? Why? It's Greek, not British. Anyway, so teleos. And here's what maturity means in the Bible. Teleo. Anyway, okay, so you guys are really bad. Anyway, you do realize that if you get me off track, it's just, it's not good. So anyway, teleos. It means brought to its end. It's kind of cool, right? It means full grown. Now, does that come oftentimes with age? Well, it should, Right? That's the hope that it should, right? Full grown. It means finished. It means complete. And here's the, here's the big one. It means perfect. Maturity means perfect. Show of hands, how many of you are perfect? Roger, you better put that hand down. Right? So are we effectively saying that we're not mature? No. No. What we're saying is that all of these are the goal. All of these are the things that we're striving for. All of the things that we're pursuing. And God has called us to maturity. Okay? And so all the days of our life, we're going to be looking at what it means to be brought to our end. That's not demise. That's not death. That means brought to a completion. Brought to a fullness. Full grown. Finished. Complete. Or perfect. Jesus says these words in Matthew. It's really, really cool. We all know them. We're all familiar with them. Matthew 5, 48. Therefore, you are to be, say it with me, church, perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You are to be teleos as your heavenly Father is teleos. You are to be mature as your heavenly Father is mature. What does that mean? You are to be complete as God is complete. That's a big difference, isn't it? It's a big difference in our understanding because what we all believe or what we've all kind of been brought up in is, under, is thinking that, well, if I get older, then I'm more mature. But it's just not true. It's not true. And, and listen, there's evidence in the church because so many people live so long in the church. They, they sit and they warm the pew. They warm the seat for years upon years upon years. And guess what? They don't look any more like Jesus than they did when they started. But we shouldn't make the mistake of saying that person's mature. That person's not mature. That person's just been hanging out for a while, right? Maturity is not age. Now listen, I'm not trying to shoot down those of you who uh, have some age behind you, okay? That's some of you in this room. I won't mention who, but that's some of you in this room. You have some age behind you, and it's a beautiful thing, 
But listen, the humility that is required for maturity is to remember my age doesn't guarantee my maturity. God defines my maturity. God is the one who said I must be perfect as he is perfect. God is the one who has called me to complete to complete nature. He's, he's called me to these things. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter 19. Ryan, I'm going to be off script for just a second here, but I think that this is just really powerful for you. And I'll bring up verse uh, 21 or 22 here in just a little bit in Matthew 19. But Matthew 19, we have the account of the rich young ruler. Anybody familiar with that? Everybody familiar with it? Pretty familiar with it? Okay, so here's what it, here's what it starts off to say in verse 16. This is really cool. It says, And some came to him, this is to Jesus, and said, Teacher, and someone, sorry, someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do to obtain eternal life? We all know that. In one of the Gospels, it actually says, good teacher, what must I do to attain eternal life? Okay, But it's, it's communicating the same thing. So it says, what good thing must I do to obtain eternal life? And he said to him, why are you asking me about what is good? Now, a lot of people look at this and they go, they go was Jesus not sure? Did he not know? It's not that, right? His point was, my father is the determiner of what is good. This is why in the one translation, it says, why do you call me good? There's no one good but the Father. It's the same principle that says, you want to know what's good? Just trust God. Just go back to what he says, right? Because that's the way it works. So he goes on and he says, why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep his commandments. Keep the commandments. This is this is what God has called you to. You want to know what's good? Well, that's what's good. Verse 18. Then he said to him, which ones? Idiot. Anyway, so okay. So Jesus responds. He goes, I, I kind of picture it this way. I kind of picture that Jesus was going to get through all the commandments, but the guy interrupts him at the end. But you, you'll kind of see this in a second. So Jesus responds and says, you shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, Jesus, I'm going to let you finish, but, okay, this is totally what this guy is doing. I'm going to let you finish, but listen here. The young man says, all of these I've kept. What an interruption, right? Yeah, I'm good, Jesus. I got this. I got this. All of these I've kept, and what am I still lacking? This is the response that's just absolutely amazing. Verse 21. Jesus says to him, Ryan, you can put it up on the screen. This is so good. Jesus said to him, if you wish to be good. No, he didn't say, if you wish to be good. The guy asked, what good must I do? And Jesus didn't even answer his question. Jesus goes, you're, you're so immature right now, you don't even know the right question to ask, right? So he looks at him, he says, if you wish to be mature, which is the real problem here. If you wish to be complete, if you wish to reach your fullness, because listen, God is the only one who's good, and his commands are good, so just do what he says. That's fine. Jesus is never going to negate that. He's never going to cross that. But instead, he doesn't answer that question and comes back and says, if you wish to be complete, there's the challenge. If you wish to be mature, listen, church, the challenge is true for us today. It's not about our goodness. You know that, church, right? It's not about our goodness because no, listen, it's not about you doing good things. You should do good things. Jesus instructs the rich young ruler to obey the commandments. Don't miss it. We're called to obedience. But no amount of good things will ever cover up who you were. 
It's never going to work. You can't amass a bunch of good deeds and say, God, help me to not be a sinner because of these good deeds. No, only Jesus makes us good, okay? But we need to come to understanding of this, which means we need to come to completeness. We need to come to teleos. We need to come to maturity. And so Jesus doesn't answer his question. He says the real issue is maturity. So if you wish to be complete, then go sell all your possessions, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. You want to know what true maturity is? Following Jesus. True maturity, bringing you to completeness, is to follow Jesus all the days of your life. It means to do as he said. This is why Jesus doesn't answer the guy's question. He answers the right question. He says, you, you, it's not about you being good. You will do good, but it's about you following me. And I will bring you to a completeness. I will bring you to a full measure. In the church today, what has sadly happened is we've begun to teach everybody how to be good. And that's great. There's lots of commands that will teach you how to be good. But that's not what Jesus wants. What Jesus wants is maturity because good will come with maturity. Good can come with maturity, okay? God is calling us to completeness. And so he calls him straight up. You want to be complete? Well, then this is the deal. Sell your possessions and follow after me. Well, Jesus isn't walking the earth, right? We know that he went to heaven. He sits at the right hand of the Father, and he gave us the Holy Spirit so that we might have a helper and a comforter. So how is it that we're supposed to follow Jesus now? Here's the word. Discipleship. Put it up there, Ryan. Here's the word, discipleship. How many of you know that this is true for us today? We need this today. This is why Paul wrote to the Ephesians and says that God gave pastors and teachers and prophets and apostles and, uh, and teachers or, and evangelists for the equipping of the saints. Who gave those people? God gave those people. What does verse 8 tell us? It tells us their spiritual gifts. Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father and he gave gifts to men. Some he gave as apostles. Some he gave as prophets. He gave spiritual gifts for the discipleship of his people. Listen, we've got to be taught. Our want-to's there. Our how-to's broken. We need to be taught so that we can reach completeness. It's not my job, church, to teach you how to be good. Because there's limitations to what I think is good. There's limitations to what I think everybody can reach or what I can reach myself. But if I teach you how to be complete, if I teach you how to follow after Jesus, if I point to the one, life is so much better. Amen? So look, he's called us to discipleship. And here's how this works. Next passage. Right. Romans 12.2. We all love Romans 12.1. Worship in spirit and truth. But Romans 12.2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That comes through teaching and preaching and, and study and spending time with God. Renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is. That which is good and acceptable and... Perfect. Teleos. Perfect. Mature. You're going to be able to tell what is mature. You're going to be able to tell what is complete. After something happens, your mind is renewed. We need our minds renewed. Amen, church? We desperately need our minds renewed. Paul says something else in another book. It's really powerful. To the Colossians, he wrote this. He says, we proclaim him, Jesus, right? Admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom. We want to renew their minds. That's what our objective is, right? With all wisdom so that we may present them. This is a teacher's responsibility. That's why they'll be held to account. That's why they'll be held to a higher standard. That we may present every man, say it with me, church, complete 
teleos, mature, perfect in Christ. This is amazing. We've got to, we've got to come back to a, a real question. What is maturity? It's not age. It's not what the high school cheerleader said to you when you were just acting amiss one time when she looked at you and said, grow up. Right? That, that, that's not what this is, okay? It's something far bigger. It's completeness. It's perfection. It's striving after what Jesus is. It's coming to an end. And God has a specific end for all of us. Yesterday, I was driving down the road, and uh, I had to do some errands. And when I was heading down into Batavia to cross over 222 and get to a uh, 125, because I wanted to bypass Amelia. I don't even like this town. No, I'm just messing with you. Anyway, I grew up here all my life. But So I was, I was going to, in between Amelia and Bethel to submit our dog for his grooming uh, appointment, okay? Man, I don't even understand this job, right? Like, I would not want this job to save my life, okay? The dogs are just frantic and chaotic. And the guy who's doing his haircutting is this long-haired hippie guy. And I swear to you, like, I, he's got WBN playing as loud as he can. And he's like, you know, my dog probably came out there high. Anyway, so that's just my, my, my thought. Anyway, here's the point, okay? So, so they're, they're cutting the dog's hair. They're... I'm going there to drop my dog off. See what happens in Nathan's mind. Anyway, so I'm heading there, and as I pull into Batavia, I look in my rearview mirror, and there's this awesome truck behind me, okay? You'll, you'll know some of you who are my age and some of you who like what I like. You'll know what I'm talking about. It was a 1985 Toyota truck. There's a reason why I love that truck. I looked at it in the rearview mirror. I was like, oh, and my childhood come flashing back, right? I look in the mirror and I see this truck. It's because that was the truck that was given to Marty McFly in Back to the Future 1, right? Okay? Listen, this is important, so get up with your trivia. Anyway, so, so he's given this truck, and I love this truck, right? I've always loved this truck. If I was going to have a truck, that's the truck that I want, right? So I see this truck, and I'm like, that's just cool. And then I just go back to driving towards dropping the dog off. And then I get to 222, and that guy turned off behind me. I saw him turn off, right? Because there was a bit of like, oh, anyway, in my heart. But anyway, so he drove, he drove off, and I pull up to 222 behind another truck. Guess what it was? A 1985 Toyota pickup truck. It's the exact same truck. I mean, it was, that was a blue one. This one was a black one. And all of a sudden, I was like, that's a sign. I'm going to tell Sarah, we must buy this truck because God revealed it twice. I mean, it has to be true. Anyway, so I pull up behind it. Now, here's, here's where this dumb story is going to tie into the message today. But I turned down, and he's going down 222. I followed him all the way to the dog room, or he went past. But anyway, I follow him, and I'm like, this is awesome. But listen, it took a quarter of a mile down 222 before I recognized it. On his license plate, his license plate, it said historical tag. Okay, <laughs> so I felt old at that moment, right? The fact that I was fanboying over a Back to the Future truck meant I wasn't terribly mature. But anyway, but I was, I was loving it. And I looked at it, I went, historical tag my eye. I'm like, I'm not historical, but here's, this is the point of this. Listen, if I'm historical, what does that say about, anyway, okay, moving, moving on. So the idea, listen, guys, listen, we get older, but it doesn't mean we mature. I'm 38 years old now. I started, I started in pastoral ministry. I started in ministry when I was 19. 19, I'm 38. About 10 years from now, I might reach one level of maturity. I don't have a clue because all I feel like I ever do in life is get older. But getting more mature, 
There's something else. Do I look at my life every day and see more of Jesus and less of me? That's the question we need to ask. Not do I see more wrinkles, but do I see more Jesus, right? Do I see more gray hairs? No. Do I see more Jesus? Do, do I see more, more good ideas of how to handle certain things? Or do I see more good ideas of how to handle it Jesus' way? This is the difference between maturity and just getting older. So from a historical person, just take that for what it's worth. The second question that we're going to ask today is, who or what is the standard? Who is the standard? Jesus is the standard. So that, that says something by not saying something. That says this, I am not the standard of maturity. Can you say that out loud with me? I am not the standard of maturity. Oh, this is humbling. It's freeing. Say it one more time with me. I am not the standard of maturity. Jesus is the standard of maturity. That means the bar that's set or the finish line that we're supposed to cross is never met or never crossed unless we look like Jesus. All the days of our life, that's what we should be striving for. Now listen, this humbles all of us, doesn't it? It humbles all of us because whether we've been walking with the Lord for 50, 60, 70 years, I don't know, but whether we've been walking with the Lord this long period of time or whether we've been walking with the Lord a day or two, the goal is there's no room for pride. There's no place for arrogance. Why? Because how many here, by a show of hands, have arrived at Jesus? We haven't, church. We haven't. We're still striving for this. See, who is the standard? It's Jesus. By definition, that means it's not me and it's not you. And when we understand it's not us, we are humbled all the days of our life. That means those who have been walking with the Lord for many years, they don't look down on the younger. They look to them and say, you want to run with me? You want to run this race with me? You want to pick up? You want to move forward? Because listen, listen, we're all trying to get to Jesus and I want you to be with me. The young don't look at it and look up to the old and say, that's not attainable. I can't do that. They look past that and they see Jesus and they understand his spirit has been given to them so that we can do all things pertaining to life and godliness. Amen? Two illustrations. Let's say you're, on a, let's say you're a rookie, okay? You're a rookie on an NFL team. It's first, first year you've joined, you're awesome, you're a, you're a rookie, you probably won many things in your high school and your college career, but, but you, uh, you first year on, and you just happened to join a football team that the previous year won the Super Bowl, okay? They won the Super Bowl, They're, they all have a ring, they're just like, we got this, we're awesome, okay? Now, if that ring was the standard of maturity, if that was the point at which to go to, what would you say if you got on the team and the Super Bowl winners looked over to you and said, hey, we've arrived. We already got there. It's your turn, kid. You do it yourself. What would you say? You hopefully would say, I can't, right? I can't. One person does not a football team make, okay? You can't get out there and try to take on 300-pound linemen by yourself as the center, the quarterback, the run. You can't do it. You need other people's help. It would be arrogant for the previous winners to look down on you and say, hey, we've arrived, in the church, if you're mature, if you have been walking with Jesus for a long time, it would be arrogant for you to think of yourself as the standard. You've arrived. You've reached something. No, 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 no. You got to get out and you got to grind with that young guy just the same as everybody else. You, they need you. I desperately need you. This paints another picture as to why we're all important in the body of Christ. 
We're all important because I need you and you need me and we need each other. Church, we need each other. We're a team. We're supposed to be running this race. It would be arrogant for the winners to say, sorry, you got to make it on your own. And it would be foolish for that young guy to think he could do it on his own. We live in a current church model where a lot of younger Christians think they can be Lone Ranger Christians. They can do this all on their own. Nonsense. Nonsense. You cannot. You cannot. You cannot reach completeness unless somebody is teaching you, unless somebody is guiding you, unless somebody is explaining to you. It's really important. Second illustration would be this, that we're, we're all running a race. The Bible seems to communicate this, right? We're all running a race. And let's say the race to win the race is 10 laps around this track, okay? And you're the kind of person that you have been running this race for eight laps now. Let's do it at 10-year increments and say you're 80 years old and you've been running this race all your life. Have you arrived at 10 yet? No, so your pride needs to be non-existent, amen? You need to understand that you're not there yet. But all too often, what I've encountered and what I experience is, is the older looking at the younger, and they often say, I pity that you aren't more advanced or that you're not where you need to be. Or pastors and teachers and leaders complaining about the next generation because they don't seem to ever get it. Guess what? If you got it, be gracious and run with them. Run with them. If a person is at one lap around this race and you know they got nine more, when you catch up to them, let's say you're lapping them on your, on your run. When you catch up to them, here's what you do. You come beside them and say, you want to run with me? You want to fight this fight with me? You want to go forward with me? This is what we need. Guys, we all need one another. The bar is Jesus, not us. Since Jesus is the bar, no pride is allowed. No pride is allowed. For the younger, let me just kind of talk to you for a second. For the younger, you have got to humble yourself and learn that if the older person says, listen, if you're running around this turn in the track, you probably need to go to the outside lane because there's a pothole there and you don't want to fall in it. You need to listen. You need to have your ears open because the people who are ahead of you might not be the arrogant people that I've portrayed. They might be the humble people that say, we're still striving for Jesus, but their warning to you, their teaching to you, their correction inside of your life is not always bad. Sometimes it's a beautiful, beautiful thing to, to keep you from the holes they've fallen in themselves. Those of you who've walked with Jesus for a long time, do you hope that the next generation builds on your shoulders? Do you hope that? Call it out if you do. Yes or no? Yes. You hope this. See, the same is true of parents, right? I, I'm, I want my kids to be better than I am. I want my kids to do greater things than I do. I want them to move forward. Because the truth is, I, I love my kids. And those who are more mature in Jesus, they love the saints enough that are... Lacking pride, you know, they've, they've, they've humbled themselves. Those people, they simply desire the next generation to go fa farther and further and higher and to achieve greater things. Guys, the bar is Jesus. The bar is not us. There is no room for arrogance. You remember in the New Testament, Jesus tells a story of two men that were praying. 
One man was a Pharisee, and he bragged to God in his prayer. If you're bragging to God in your prayer, you're getting it wrong. Anyway, so he bragged to God in his prayer, and he says, I tithe this much, and I do this much, and I do this much, and he's bragging to God. And then the other guy, he won't even look at God, right? He puts his face to the ground, and he prays, God, I'm a wretched sinner. Please forgive me, keep me, love me, all those different things. Jesus says, who goes away justified? It was the humble man inside of this. You know what this guy understood? Jesus is the bar, not himself. You know what the Pharisee thought? He thought he was the bar and not Jesus. You're not the bar. You're not the bar. Jesus is the bar. And that begets humility in so many ways. So who or what is the standard? Here's what scripture says. To a mature man, this is the the goal, right? To a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of of Christ. I need you to say this with me to get the weight of what is said. To a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Not the Jesus your Sunday school teacher painted for you, not the Jesus that your pastor teaches, the Jesus of the Bible. And until the full measure of Christ is what we're meeting, we're not at maturity. We're striving for it but we've got to go on to the greater thing. Next slide, Ryan. James 1, 4. And let endurance have its perfect result, teleos, mature result, so that you may be perfect, teleos, and complete. You go, why didn't you highlight complete, Nathan? Because this is actually a different word. This actually says free of sin. (laughs) Doesn't that bite? So many in the church today, you can't beat the power of sin. You can't overcome. You're not reading the same Bible that I'm reading. You don't believe in the Spirit of God that allows you to overcome. This word is complete, free of sin, walking away from the past and those things. But listen, let your endurance have its perfect result. Run the race, guys. Run it with all your heart. Give everything you have because the bar is Jesus. The finish line is Jesus. The finish line is not Nate. The finish line is not the best Christian you've ever met in your life. The finish line is Jesus. Let endurance have its perfect result because when you press on and when you endure and when you stand firm and when you stay fast, when you do that, you will be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Lacking in nothing? You want You want to know what I lack in? Sarah, can you come up and tell everybody? (laughs) So I lack so many things, but guess what I'm called to? I'm called to a mature endurance that arrives at a mature, sinless, lacking nothing life. It's powerful, church. It's powerful. It's powerful. So the last question. How does maturity impact the Christian life? Here's what the Apostle Paul goes on to say in Ephesians 4. As a result... As a result, in light of everything that he's told us, in light of God giving pastors and teachers and prophets and apostles and evangelists to equip the saints for the works of service, the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the measure of the Son of God, all of that stuff, isn't it fancy? It's amazing, all that stuff. But that is to produce something. As a result, we are to be mature. As a result of that maturity, we are no longer to be children. How many of you have heard all your life, we need to have faith like children, childlike faith, childlike faith. You don't be afraid. I'm not going to get you at a, you know, gotcha question. Childlike faith. Good. Keep a childlike faith. You know what childlike faith means? It means to trust God readily like a child. 
The problem is the modern church has made it childish faith. That means blind hope. It means jumping so that the net will appear. It means testing the Lord your God. All of that is unknown to the Bible. All of that is actually against what God would teach. You should have a childlike faith in that you're readily to trust him. But when it comes to your maturity and when it, becomes, when it comes to your knowledge and your understanding, you are to no longer be children. Why? Because children are tossed here and there back and forth. They're tossed by the waves and carried around by every wind. But it's not waves and wind, church. It's by every wave and every wind of doctrine. Every false thing that comes down the pike. Church, listen, we're not, we're not void of this in the modern church, okay? We're not free of this kind of stuff in the modern church. We think, oh man, all those heresies, they were taken care of in the past right? All, all the reformers, they took care of that nonsense. No church, no church, no church. There are leaders and there are teachers today. Listen, I know that this is going to ruffle some of your feathers, but when the supposed infallible pope of the Catholic church comes out and says, homosexuality is fine, you're missing it. You're missing it. He's not arrived at maturity, and I thought he was infallible. <laughs> it's amazing. Apparently his maturity is not quite there yet, okay? I know that that disrupts people. I know that that gets under people's skin, but the truth is the truth, guys. We are still running a race, and the truth of the matter is waves and winds of doctrine come blowing in, and if we're not grown up, we'll never know it. We'll never know it. We'll look at it and we'll go, that sounds good. And you know what the false teachers of our day love to say? They love to say that what they teach is the most true form of love that you can imagine. Bull. Bull. Love is defined by God, not by our society. Love is defined by 1 Corinthians 13, not by our culture, and not by our fleeting fancy. It's not by that. And if we don't grow up, listen to me, church. I'm not here to make you happy. <laughs> listen, if we don't know it, we're still children, and we're being tossed here and there every which way possible. You know, I ask you to read your Bible a lot. I ask you to pray. I ask you to seek God. I don't do so because I have religious plans for you in your life. I do so because you are called to maturity. You are called to growing up. And as a shepherd protecting sheep from a wolf, it is important for me to give you all the tools necessary and to call you to use all the tools necessary so that you can walk in Jesus. So church, you need to open your Bible. You need to know what Jesus says. You need to know what the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists told the first century church. You need to know this, not because you get brownie points with Jesus for reading your Bible. You need to know it because there's wolves all around our world. I know, it sounds staggering. It sounds a little alarming. Well, it should be because it is, right? The very first thing that, Christ, that, that maturity produces in the Christian's life is the ability to see the trickery of men and the craftiness of deceitful scheming. And all of this came in context by teachers professing to be Christians in Ephesus. Make sure you don't miss it. Make sure you don't miss it. So he goes on. So we're no longer to be children. Next one. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. What does maturity produce in the Christian? It means a bunch of people who can speak truth and love. This is an area that I struggle with a lot. Because I, like most of you, have misinterpreted the context of this. 
What we mean by speaking truth in love is telling somebody something really hard. That's what we say. You know what speaking truth in love is? What's defined is just telling somebody something they don't want to hear. It's truth. It's hard. It's blah, blah, blah. And guess what we give excuses? Truth is loving. It's not the context, though. It's not the context. The context is actually that they were being persecuted. They were being ridiculed and said they weren't Christians. And in response to this persecution, Paul says, don't respond the way they respond or the way they've acted towards you. But instead, you speak the truth to them in love. You love them anyway. I don't like it. I don't like it, but that's maturity. That's maturity. That's what it produces in you, church. We're supposed to be mature. We're supposed to speak the truth in love. So, listen, the next time somebody in your family get together says they don't believe that you're a real Christian, when you know you're following after Jesus, you're giving it your whole heart. Listen, if somebody's correcting your faith, if somebody's calling you on something that you're doing wrong, be humble and listen, okay? But if somebody says you're not a Christian and you know you're walking with Jesus, don't pack up and leave the family gathering. Don't say, well, we won't talk about faith or politics. Instead, respond to them with truth and love. Love them anyway. Love them anyway. Why? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Vengeance always goes wrong when it's Nathan's. It always goes wrong when it's Nathan's. So he goes on. And he says, From whom the whole body being fitted and held together by whatever joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part. Working of each individual part. We need the proper working of each individual part. Causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Maturity produces a growing church. It produces a building up church in love. We are growing and maturing and building in love. When churches are stagnant, when churches are dying, I can tell you, we can trace that back to its root. And the root will be, the root will be that people are no longer maturing. People are no longer growing. People are feeding them milk. They're feeding them, you know, little kid food, whatever. Nobody wants to grow up. That'll be the source, I'm telling you. So as we move forward as a church, as we move past this series, Equipping the Saints, the principle of the series will never go away. We will always have as our agenda, our vision, our mission as pastors and teachers and leaders in this church. It will always be our mission to equip the saints. Your want to's there, I know it. It's your how-to that needs to be informed. Your how-to needs to be informed because there's wolves in the world. Amen, church? They're looking. The devil is prowling, looking for whom he may devour. Don't take this too lightly, church. Don't look for a devil behind every bush, but at the same time, be very aware that he wants you dead. He doesn't like this, and he sure doesn't like a church that is growing and maturing and moving towards him. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to Rebuilding from Pierce Point Community Church. We hope that today's podcast will help you become a more connected part of Christ's body. Remember to check out our website at piercepoint.org for more information.